We are continuing um, our series this morning, Old Testament Jams, um, and the last couple weeks um, we've been focused on the theme of faith, um, and uh, we're going to continue that today. About two weeks ago, um, Travis hit on the story of Noah, um, and then last week uh, was the story of Elisha and the arrow of faith, um, the arrow of victory, sorry. Um, this morning, we're going to continue that um, by looking at the Israelites throughout the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at um, faith and really what's, what's our perception, what's our experience of God, and how is that influenced um, by the things going on in our everyday lives. And um, as I was preparing this message, my hope was that I'd come up with some like revolutionary new insight that you all be blown away by. Um, I don't think so. I think this is going to be, um, we're going to talk about faith, and my hope is that this is a reminder to you, it's an encouragement to you. Um, so let's dive in. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the um, book of Exodus. We're going to kind of take like a 30,000-foot view through most of the book. Um, we'll have some of the verses up here on the screen, but we'll move through it kind of quickly and, and zoom in on some of the, the key stories. Um, so let's dive in. Um, well, actually, first, some, um, some quick background of Exodus, if you're not familiar with it. Um, Exodus, second story of the Bible, uh, second book of the Bible, comes right after Genesis, uh, Genesis is focused on the creation story. Um, Ian preached on that a couple weeks ago. Um, and then the rest of it really focuses on um, Abraham and his descendants um, and how God is God makes his covenant. God shows himself to Abraham and his family. And uh, Genesis ends with um, Abraham's descendants, Joseph and his brothers, moving down to Egypt um, to escape a famine. Um, so Exodus picks up a little bit later on. Um, it's not really clear how much later, um, but, but two things have happened leading up to the beginning of Exodus. Um, one is that Abraham's family, um, Joseph and his brothers, they've all passed away, but their descendants have grown into this big nation. Um, and two is that they've um, begun being oppressed by the Israelites, they've been put in, or by the Egyptians. Um, they've been put into slavery. Um, they're forced to, to make bricks, do work for, for the Egyptians. And... It's, it's kind of unclear how much um, God has really been present to them um, leading up to the beginning of the story, um, how much he's like manifested himself to them. So if, if you ask um, Joe, Israelite, Joe Israelite on the street, like, what's your experience of God? Um, how well do you know God? We're not really sure, um, but my, my guess is not very well. Um, so the, the first thing that we'll get into um, is Moses and the burning bush. Um, we're not going to focus so much on Moses this morning. Um, we're going to focus more on um, everyday Israelite. Um, but things, things really start moving um, with the, the burning bush story. Um, you're probably familiar with it. This is when God shows up to, to Moses through the burning bush. Um, and he says, I'm, I'm going to save my people. I'm going to bring them out of Egypt. Um, Moses questions him, and they have a whole back and forth. And um, God shows Moses a couple signs. He, he turns his, snake into, or his staff into a snake and back again. Um, he gives Moses leprosy for all of like 30 seconds and then back and then um, maybe a couple other things. And what happens next is um, Moses goes back to the Israelites. He gets all the Israelites together. Um, and we'll read in, in chapter 4, verse 29, um, Moses and Aaron, um, Aaron is Moses' brother, brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned 
about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So Moses gets everyone together. He tells them what God has told him. He performs the signs. Um, so I'm assuming he takes a staff, turns into a snake. Maybe he gave someone leprosy. Um, but he, he demonstrates God's power, and then he tells them, God has seen you, and God is going to do something. And their response is they worship. They bow down. They see God is right in front of them. They hear his concern. They believe, and they worship. So what happens next? Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and they do the whole let my people go thing for the first time, and Pharaoh says no. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm going to make their work harder. Um, so the oppression of the Israelites gets worse. Their, their workload, their quotas increase. Uh, the foremen of the Israelites start getting beaten because uh, they're not meeting their quotas. And the next time Moses meets with the Israelites um, is in the next chapter. And it's probably about uh, two to three days later. Um, it's in uh, chapter 5, verse 21. And let's see how, how things have changed. Um, when they meet up with Moses, what they tell him is, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So notice how quickly that turns around so fast, just in a couple days. A few days ago when they're in front of Moses, they're seeing the signs, they're hearing God's concern, and they worship. They think things are going to get better. In the next couple days, they go out in the fields, things get worse, and that time with Moses is just a memory. And the reality in front of them, the, the oppression leads them to conclude that things aren't good, things are bad. They've gone from God is going to save us to Pharaoh's going to kill us. Just, just notice how quickly we can swing in our faith just based on what's in front of us. Has that ever happened to you? Um, Sherilyn's laughing. She can tell you that I'm, I'm a big worrier. Um, if something bad, something bad happens, something goes wrong, like the car breaks down, something at work, like I'll tend towards the chicken little, the sky is falling thing. Um, stop. <laughs> so may, maybe you're a bit like me, uh, maybe not. But but for lots of us, like the, the issue that's right in front of us can tend to like it can tend to fill up all our vision. It can tend um, to make us lose our focus on God. And suddenly, maybe you had some. Um, Maybe you were feeling strong with God a few days ago. Maybe you, you heard clearly, and suddenly that doesn't seem as present. And that's not just the bad things. Um, there are good things that can fill up our focus as well. Maybe a new job, a new relationship. We've got a new heir to Tom Brady, and the Patriots are going to be good again. But we can get excited about things and just lose our focus on God. So... Um, let's go back to the Israelites. Um, the next thing that happens is the, the ten plagues. Um, so let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a moment here. Um, so far, the, the Israelites, all they've really seen is Moses has, has done a few tricks. Um, so maybe Joe Israelite here, he doesn't have a whole lot of reason to believe that God is really going to come through on what, is, what he promised um, this, this Yahweh character, he, he, can, you know, he can turn a staff into a snake, but can he really free a whole nation from oppression? Maybe not. So 10 plagues comes next. And what, what we really see here is God is establishing himself to, to the Israelites and to the Egyptians. He's, he's putting his power on display. He's not just doing a little trick with a staff, but he turns the Nile to blood. He brings frogs, gnats, flies. He puts a plague on livestock, boils hail, locusts, darkness. Um, and I was kind of reading through this stuff. And I was like, why all this random stuff, God? Like frogs, really? <laughs> um, 
And it, it's not clear in scripture like why he picked all these things, but, but here's my theory, is that the ancient Egyptians, they had thousands and thousands of gods. They had a god of the moon, a god of the air, they had a god of like cats and a god of cows. Uh, I think what God is doing here is he's demonstrating his power over absolutely everything. Uh, he's not just the, the god of a staff, he's the almighty god of heaven and earth. And I hope you can see, I might be exceeding the weight capacity here. Um, I hope you can see uh, how God, he's the Lord over not just 5% of your life. He's not just the God of Sunday mornings of going to church, but he's the God over everything. He's God over your family. He's God over your job, your school, relationships. He's God over everything. And the Israelites see this. They see God's power on display and they also see God's love and concern for Israel. Um, it, it's not specified in the first couple plagues, um, but once we get to the, I think it's the fourth plague and onward, um, the scripture specifies that um, the Israelites are not affected. Um, so when darkness comes over the land, it's over the whole land of Egypt except the, the land of, of Goshen where the Israelites are. Um, when the, the livestock are struck with a plague, um, the Israelites' livestock are fine. Um, so the Israelites are, are not affected. Um, and imagine just experiencing that. Um, as, as you're one of the Israelites, you're seeing there's this awesome God who's doing all of these incredible things, and he's showing us mercy. Uh, he's decided to show special care for us. God is showing power and love for his people. So we get to the 10th plague, and so far Israel has been watching, and they've been seeing God in action, um, but here the 10th plague, which is the, the death of the firstborn across Egypt, is that they actually have to take action. Um, so Moses comes to them, and he tells them, hey, the destroyer is going to come through the land, they're going to strike down the firstborn in each house. What you need to do is, uh, is take a lamb, slaughter it, put the blood on the doorframe, and the destroyer is going to see the blood. It's going to pass over your house. And the Israelites do exactly what God commands. They obey and their sons are spared. And just a couple things to note about that is that God didn't need to have them do that. Um, he can clearly distinguish between an Israelite and Egyptian. Um, what he's doing is he's calling them to, to move their faith into action. Um, you've probably heard it before from up here a million times. Faith, faith is not a spectator sport. Um, and I think what's happening here is God is getting them into a little warm-up exercise uh, before they get in the game. But notice that they also did watch God move before God calls them into action. Um, I kind of wonder what, what had happened if this was the first plague, if they hadn't seen anything yet. Um, I kind of doubt that many of them would have done what Moses told them. Um, they were rattled at that point. But as God is demonstrating his power through the first nine plagues, they, they see him, they see his love and his, his, his power, and their faith grows. And after nine plagues happen, and Moses comes and says, hey, there's going to be a tenth plague, you need to do this, nobody has any doubt that God is going to follow through. So that leads them to, to act in faith, um, every single one of them. So we've seen their faith go up, go down, go back up again. Um, and as we move along in the story, um, we get to the actual exodus, and here's where things go back down. Um, so we're in, in the end of chapter 13 and coming into to chapter 14 here. And what's amazing is as 
the nation of Israel, is, is, as everyone's leaving the land of Egypt, God is visibly going with them. Um, he's traveling at, at the front of the Israelites um, in the form of a, a giant column of smoke um, or cloud during the day and fire by night. So the Israelites, they have a constant visual reminder of God's presence right in front of them. But even with that, it's not enough. Even with that, their faith starts to falter. Um, so what happens is um, Pharaoh changes his mind again. He says, I don't want to let um, Israel go. He sends out the army. Um, so they pursue the Israelites into the desert. And uh, chapter 14, um, verse 10, um, we see, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So here they are, Pharaoh's army is coming, they and they're terrified. Um, and I want you to visualize this. Um, so let's pretend I'm, I'm the, the Israelite camp. Um, we're moving this way. God is out in front of me. He's the, the pillar of, of smoke or fire. And the Israelites are coming up from behind. Um, well, that family, you're the, you're, the, you're the Egyptians. You're the scary army of chariots. And what the Israelites do is, is they turn from looking at God. They turn away from God to look at the Egyptian army. And that's when they start to get scared. Just like, uh, just like Peter on the waves when he walked out in the water, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he looked at the waves, that's when he got scared and he began to sink. So the Israelites turn away. Hey, Bean, what you doing? You want to go up here? Hey. You can hang up here if you want. Um, so they turn away from, um, from God and focus on their problem. And what happens next is, is pretty amazing. Um, if you look ahead to, um, to verse 19, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long." So what happens is that the, the Israelites have turned their focus from God to their problem. God actually moves and comes behind and stands in between the army of Egypt and the Israelites. So now the Israelites, they can't even look back at the Egyptian army without seeing the presence of God. Have you ever had God show up so clearly like that in the midst of a problem where you can't even look at the issue without seeing him? Um, I'm glad you came up here. Sherilyn and I, we, we struggled with um, infertility for a couple years. Um, we tried for a few years before uh, Jonathan came along. Um, and we were pretty, well, she was pretty open about it. Um, I'm still working on my sharing muscles. Um, <laughs> but what I remember most about that, that time is how, how people in this church, they came around us and surrounded us in prayer. Um, and we really, we experienced God through that. Um, it was amazing. Hey, Jonathan, can you go sit down? Can you go sit with Mama? Thanks, Bean. Um, so, so <laughs> what happens next? <laughs> uh, 
So uh, we, we were able to just experience God's presence through that. Even before we got pregnant, I really couldn't think about what we were going through without seeing God's hand in it. Um, so I, I hope, you know, just, just look back. Have you had an experience like that? Um, I think some of our, our greatest times of God, when we learn the most about God, is when we're going through something like that and God shows up in the midst of our problem. So... Just like before, this strengthens the faith of Israel. And then the next verse, Moses holds out his hand, God divides the sea, and Israel passes through. And let's give some credit to, to the Israelites here, is that it, it would have taken a lot of faith to, to walk right into that sea. You know, I, I don't know how deep the, the Red Sea was, but you've got these giant walls of water on either side, and if Moses sneezed, they were like gone. So just imagine that it, it would have taken faith um, to, to walk through. So again, observe ups and downs and ups and downs, but also see how faithful God is in closing up that gap. He makes up that gap. So one more story. Um, we could probably keep going on this theme through like the entire Bible, um, but we'll hit on one, one more story in Exodus 16, and that's the, the story of the manna in the desert. Um, so... In, in chapter 16, um, this is like a, maybe a month and a half after they've left Egypt, and everyone is really hungry. Um, they're back to grumbling. They tell Moses, if only we had died in Egypt. You've brought us out here to starve. Um, and what God tells Moses is, I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give the Israelites quail and bread. Um, and sure enough, when everyone wakes up in the morning, the ground is just covered in, in man. It's covered in bread. And this part is important. Moses tells them, go out and gather, but don't keep any of it until morning. And, of course, some of them do. They, some of them keep it until the next day, and it gets all gross and maggoty. Uh, but just think, why, why, would, why would any of them have kept it until the next day? Um, the only reason is that they would keep it is if they think they're going to need it the next day. So God has literally dropped bread from heaven on them. Moses has told them, this is the bread that God has given you. And some of them, not, not all of them, but some of them, they just they think it's a freak accident. Um, I better stash as much as I can. Like, I was lucky today, but I'm going to be hungry again tomorrow. Um, and for them, it just hasn't clicked uh, that this is the same God who, who showed himself to Moses. He brought the, the plagues on Egypt. He brought Israel through the Red Sea. He protected them from Pharaoh's army. Uh, we skipped over a story in the previous chapter of when he provided water for them in the desert. Um, and now he's dropped bread from heaven, and they're thinking about tomorrow. Um, so it's just not clicking for them um, that there's this God who's faithful, who's come through again and again and again. In a sense, God is very predictable. God is predictable in that he always comes through. He's, he's always faithful, but they're not seeing it because they're in the desert, they're tired and hungry. They're idiots, right? Well, let me tell you a story about myself. Um, a couple years ago when I was uh, working, coming on staff to work for the Navigators Campus Ministry, um, I spent my first summer uh, fundraising. I'd fundraise my, my salary and expenses um, and it wasn't going well. Um, I was struggling a lot. I think I was most of the way through the summer, and I was like 20 or 30% funded, and I had no, no one left, really no one left to talk to, no one left to call. And um, I get a phone call from someone I'd, I'd never spoken to before, someone I'd never heard, before, heard of before. I was like a friend of a friend, 
Um, and what she told me was, I've, I've, someone told me about what you're doing. Uh, I love to support causes like these. Um, my sister just passed away. I'm getting some inheritance money. I'm gonna, I'm, I want to make you. A, I'm going to send you a gift. And I said, okay, great, awesome, thank you. Um, we chatted for a little bit. And I got to know her a little bit. Uh, she didn't tell me how much. Uh, she didn't know how much she was getting from her her sister, so she didn't know how much she was she was going to send me at the time. Um, so we 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 chatted, uh, hung up, and a couple weeks went on, and I kind of almost forgot about it until I got a letter from her in the mail, um, and I saw her her name on the return address, and I said, oh yeah, oh yeah, we, I remember this woman. Um, she she sent me a check for ten thousand dollars, and I remember um, when I opened that envelope and I saw the zeros and I counted them again. Um, my my first thought was like, oh my gosh, God is faithful, like. I've been struggling so much. Here it is. I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to be funded. God is so faithful. My second thought was, well, what about next year? <laughs> I'm going to need to fundraise again next year, and I can't count another gift like that. My third thought was remembering that I had read this exact story that morning in my quiet time and thought about what idiots the Israelites were for not trusting their God. <laughs> so as as I've grown in my faith, I've I've come to relate a little more with these idiots bumbling around in the desert. Maybe you've had uh, some experience like that. You can identify um, with with scripture. Uh, Jesus refers to us as sheep a lot. Sheep are not the most intelligent of animals. I think that he did that for a reason. Um, okay, so let's move on to, to a couple points. Uh, first point that I want to make is that God's track record is perfect. God's track record is perfect. And now to flush that out a little bit, I want to talk about the faith of the scientific community. So if I take my pen and I drop it on the ground, how fast did it accelerate when it fell? Does anybody know? Anybody remember from middle school science? 9.8 meters per second squared when it fell. Now, um, if I take my pen out in the parking lot and I drop it, is it going to fall at the same speed? Yeah, right? Now, if I come back here tomorrow and I drop my pen again, is it going to fall at the same speed? Yeah, yeah, of course it is. How do we know that? We know that because we've observed it, we've measured it, not us, but people, countless times. And every time we've measured something falling, it's accelerated at that same rate. And because of that, we can say that if I stand here and I drop this pen 100 times, it's going to fall at the same rate every single time. It's going to fall the same way. Nobody's going to bet money against that, right? So the, the scientific method is premised on the assumption that our natural world is going to behave the same way tomorrow and the next day that it has yesterday, the day before, and every single time we've observed it. We're assuming, we're assuming that the natural laws of this universe aren't randomly going to change overnight and suddenly it's going to fall differently tomorrow. We don't know that for sure, but we're assuming it because our observations have been so perfectly consistent, we're going to assume that it's going to stay consistent. And that's faith. And on that faith, we built spaceships and nuclear power plants and those little, like, those kid bikes that you just wiggle the handlebars and it moves forward. I have no idea how that works, but it's amazing. So we've done incredible things on this faith. And we, we're doing it because we're relying on that track record of our observations. 
and we have that faith that things will continue to act in the same way that they always have. And you can probably see where I'm going with this. Um, some examples from scripture of God's track record. Um, in Luke 22, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? And their response is nothing. Uh, from Jeremiah 33, God says, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites who are ministering before me can be broken. Just think about it. If, if you can break God's covenant with the day and the night, I think the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Second Corinthians, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And one more from Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has a perfect track record that we can look back on, and we have no reason to believe that he's suddenly going to change overnight and stop being who he is tomorrow. And I invite you, don't, don't just look in Scripture. Look at your life. Look at the lives of people around you. Um, one more story from, from when I was fundraising for the Navigators. Um, my, my peers and I, we, we'd share uh, these stories of God's provision. Um, I just told you about my first year on staff in the Navigators. Uh, my second year, I experienced God's faithfulness very differently, but he was, he was still faithful. Um, I only made it to about 50% funded. Um, I didn't get another $10,000 check. Um, so I took a part-time job um, on campus tutoring the football team. Even with that, um, based on all the numbers, I shouldn't have been able to pay my, my bills every month. Um, but for a year, every single month, I did. Uh, and I found out, I was like a year, year and a half later, that um, I had been getting this monthly transfer into my navigator's account coming from, from like housing allowance program. I had never even heard about it, didn't know it was happening. Um, but it was helping me pay my bills. God, God was so faithful. Um, talk more to Bella about God's, like she has a million stories of how God has been so faithful with sanctuary baking. So God's track record, perfect, perfect. And that's, uh, we, we, need, we, need to, we need to realize that. We need to, to, uh, to acknowledge that because our faith is trust in God in action. It's trust in God in action and trust isn't built on nothing. So if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, you believe that a dead man rose from a grave to give you life with God. And let's just acknowledge, like, that's kind of a crazy thing to believe. And that's not something that we should just, we should take lightly. Listen, yeah, okay, that happened, sure. No. If we really believe that, we better have good reason to believe that. And the Holy Spirit plays a big role in that belief, and that's another, that's another sermon entirely. But you also believe that because God has established himself as trustworthy to you. God has established himself as trustworthy to you through his scripture, through the ways he's worked in your life. And if he hasn't yet, I invite you to give him that opportunity. So second point is fear and doubt are going to happen. Fear and doubt will happen. Um, I mentioned earlier, I, you know, I used to consider the, the Israelites to be idiots. Why couldn't they trust God? But... As I've uh, grown in my faith, I, I identify with them more than I used to. I like to think that you know my faith has just grown and grown and grown, but really, it's looked a little bit more like that that roller coaster faith of the Israelites, and that happens. No, no one, no one in Scripture, aside from Jesus, had a perfect faith. Um, so if you look at all all the heroes of Moses, David, Elijah, Peter, um, all of them, they had their moments of, of shaken faith, 
And you might be going through something like that today where God is hard to see. Um, maybe you're looking at like that, that army of chariots. Maybe you're, you're hungry in the desert. Maybe you're faced with a decision and you're wondering if it's, if it's, if it's really worth it to follow God in this. And let me tell you that the only difference between what you're going through today and these stories in scripture is hindsight. Hindsight's the only difference, is that when we read these stories, we know the end of the story, we can see the end of the story, we can see how God was leading the Israelites, how he faithfully, he provided manna for them in the desert every day except for Sundays for 40 years. And you can even look back on stories in your own life and you can have the end of the story, you know what God has done, you know how God was faithful. And that thing that you're going through today, the only thing that you're missing is that hindsight. The only thing that we're missing is the end of the story. And my hope is that in those moments when we don't have the end of the story is that we remember that we do know the end of the story. We don't know the specifics, but we know that God's track record is perfect. And because of that, we know how the story is going to end. And we know that at some point, maybe it's a year from now, maybe it's five years from now, or maybe it's when we're face to face with Jesus, is we'll be able to look back on this with hindsight and clearly see how God was moving. I hope, my prayer is that we can know that today, even when it's not crystal clear in front of us. So a couple things to help us do that. Number one thing is remember, remember what God has done. And that starts before those moments of difficulty come. Um, if we flip back to um, Exodus chapter 13, this is as the people were leaving Egypt. Um, Moses is speaking to them. He says, um, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib, you are leaving when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival of the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be, anywhere, be seen anywhere within your borders." On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. So this is what establishes the feast of the Passover. And the reason that that God is doing this so that people would, would remember and they would celebrate what God has done. Because the moment that they're leaving Egypt, when Pharaoh has said, yes, go, and they're moving, it's, it's, it's so clear to them. It's so easy to remember at that point. Um, and when the Red Sea is parted, when God is leading them through as the pillar of fire, that's a moment of clarity, but those memories fade fast. And it's harder to remember later on when you're in the desert. So we need help remembering, and God knows that. He knows that we need something like, like a, a sign on our hands and a reminder on our foreheads. And that's why he gives the Israelites the feast of the Passover and tells them, you need to celebrate this every year so they remember and they celebrate what God has done. And so they pass it on. 
tell your son that I, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, passing it through generations. Uh, similarly, um, if we go back to the story of the, of, um, the man in the desert in um, Exodus 16.33, um, Moses says to Aaron, take, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. They take a, a piece of manna and then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. And that jar of manna, that was kept inside the Ark of the Covenant along with the Ten Commandments. It was a symbol, it was a reminder of what God had done. Um, that, that check that I got, that $10,000 check, this was before mobile deposit. And I don't know if it would have been okay to do this, but I kind of wish that I had been able to like keep it and frame it so that I just had that reminder of that, that tangible, that reminder on the wall of what God had done for me. So God encourages us. He commands us to do things to help us remember his faithfulness and his love. Because when he brings us into a test, he lets us bring a cheat sheet. He wants us to bring a cheat sheet into that test. Um, let's look at one other, uh, another passage to, um, to kind of flesh that out a little more. Psalm 77. Um, this is one of my favorite psalms. Um, and this is someone who used a cheat sheet in the midst of a test. Um, his name is uh, Asaph. Um, and this psalm starts off with him uh, not in a very good place. We'll, we'll read the first uh, couple verses. It says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in, in anger withheld his compassion. So you, so you can see, we'll pause there for a sec, you can see his faith is shaky and he's, he's questioning God's faithfulness. Has God forgotten to be merciful? And he says, has God's unfailing love vanished? And you can see he knows God's character. He knows God is unfailing. He, he acknowledges it there, but, but whatever he's going through has him questioning it. That is it real? Is it present? And what he does next is that he decides to remember what God has done. So picking up again in verse 10, he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. So he decides to, to focus not on his current situation. He looks back on what God has done. And we'll read the rest of it and just notice the change that happens. Uh, starting again in verse 13, he says, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. 
your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So just, just see how much has changed from the beginning of that psalm. He's gone from in distress, my soul has refused to be comforted, God's unfailing love has vanished, but then once he thinks about what God has done, he can't help but praise him. He says, what God is so great as our God? You're the God who performs miracles. His situation hasn't changed, but his faith has gone from struggling to strong because he's decided to dwell on what God has done, not on what he's currently going through, but what God has done. And we need to do this. Uh, I, I, I did this exact thing a couple years ago. Um, I was going through, through something. I think it was I had applied for a job that I really wanted, didn't get it. And I was kind of in the mood of like, God, what have you done for me lately? And I read this psalm. And so I, I decided to, to journal. So I opened up my journal and I started writing down all the times I remember, I could remember the past couple years that, that God had, had done something for me, all, all those wow God moments. And I started writing and I was writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and I journaled for a long time and it filled up a lot of pages. And I got to the end and I was like, God, you've done so much for me lately, I just hadn't remembered. And it didn't change, it didn't change my situation, um, but it took me from a moment of despair over what I was going through to being in awe of God. And we need to remember what God has done. So I challenge you to do this. Even if you're not in, really into journaling, um, in the next week or so, um, sit and think through all the times that God has really shown up in your life. And I think you'll be amazed. And then share it, talk about it. Um, that's how we encourage each other. That's how God is glorified. So remember what God has done. And then let's live like we trust God. Let's live like we trust God. Do you live like the God of the Bible who has this perfect track record? Is He's in control of your life and your universe. Or are you living like your life is some random byproduct of nature and you've got to take what you can get and watch out for, for yourself? So when you're in those, those bumps, these, these, the valleys of darkness, do you live by what you can see? That problem in front of you, the, the army of chariots, or do you live like the God who works miracles and cares for you, is watching over you? And just like, just like we know how fast that pen is going to fall, do you know that God is going to be faithful again and again and again and again and again? So let me give you a couple, of, a couple small examples of what this looks like. Um, when I was working for the Navigators, I was meeting with, with a student um, on campus. His name was Tim. Um, and he was an, uh, an engineering student. Um, it was during his junior year, so he was, he was really busy. He felt a lot of uh, strain. He felt very anxious about his schedule because he, 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 was, he was missing his quiet times um, because he had too much going on. Um, and one day, he, he just decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to prioritize having a quiet time with God no matter what, every single day. Even if he couldn't fit it in, he would fit it in. So I met with him the next week, and he said, something strange was happening. I was finding more time in my day. Um, suddenly things were getting done that weren't getting done before. Weird, huh? It was almost like God is in control of his schedule. And that shouldn't be surprising, obviously, but think, think about your day. Think about what you devote your time to. Are, are you living like the Israelites um, who grab that extra manna thinking that I'm going to need this tomorrow? Or are you living like the God who makes the sun rise and set every single day 
is also in control of your schedule and that because of that, it's okay, it's safe to follow him. Let me give you one more. Um, this isn't a, a giving message, but we're going to go here. Malachi 3.10, this, this is one of my favorite verses. Um, God is talking about tithing, and he says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. So I'm not sure, but this might be the only time in Scripture that God asks us to test him. He literally says, try me, I dare you, see if I won't bless you, see if I won't bless you. And how does that shape how we think about our giving? Um, I'm going to let you guys in on a secret that God doesn't need your money. <laughs> scripture is a command, um, or tithing is a command in Scripture, um, but it's not because God is between jobs and down on his luck. <laughs> this is an invitation to experience God's provision, to live like God is in control of your life and your resources, to remember what God has done and to live like you trust him, to live like he's got a perfect track record. And last point, preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's a quote from um, a Navigator's author, Jerry Bridges. He said, preach the gospel to yourself every day. In no place is God's faithfulness, his perfect track record, um, his love, in no place is it better on display than the cross. The cross is where we have that perfect evidence of how far God is willing to go, how far he did go out of his love for you. Um, Paul says in Romans that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So out of all the things in Scripture, all the miracles, all the things that, that you've been through, there's nothing that more clearly shows his love, his faithfulness, than when he died for you on the cross and rose again. And because of the cross, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that this God loves you enough to die for you. He loves you enough to die for you. And he's strong enough to conquer death. That's been proven. That's a fact. But just like the Israelites, we go through these things and that, that, that proof of God's love becomes a little less clear to us. Things like, I messed up today, my prayer life is weak, I feel like I'm failing again and again and again. And, and it's just like that army of chariots, it's just like being hungry in the desert, is that our, our, own, our own failures, our own sin can cloud our view of what God has already done for us. And that leads us to question, does God really love me? Does God still love me? How could he still love me? But what's leading us to question to those questions is it's how we feel in the moment. It's not anything that God has done. It's not anything in scripture that's leading us to question God's love. We sang a little bit earlier, should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free? There's a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. Every burden that's on you right now, all that guilt, every weight, that is what Jesus died for. He died so that nothing would become between you and God. And Jesus doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's not regretting his decision to die for you. Scripture uh, says, Paul, Paul declares in Romans, there is, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he later says in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think anything that you're going through today falls into one of those categories. I don't think there's anything that Paul left out. Nothing whatsoever is able to separate us from the incredible love that is, that is in Christ Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day that Jesus died for you. And there's nothing that can separate you from his love. So the night before he went to the cross, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. It was the same Passover feast that Moses had told the Israelites to keep to remember how God had brought them out of Egypt. And Jesus observed that with his disciples the night before he was crucified. And when he shared that bread with them, he said, whenever you do this, remember me, remember me. So we're gonna gonna take communion this morning. Um, We could do a whole nother sermon on how the Passover points to Jesus. It's, it's It's really fascinating. But what I wanna emphasize this morning is this is that scripture says, whenever we observe communion, we're proclaiming the death of Jesus. We're preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other. We're reminding ourselves of the fact that he went to the cross for us. So let's take communion together. Um, Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, So you you don't need to be a member of of Summit to take communion here with us. Um, Scripture is clear that since this practice is is proclaiming Jesus' death, uh, that this is for believers in Jesus. So if, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, um, we're glad that you're here, but we ask that you observe this part of the service. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as you take this, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you as he went to the cross. God bless you as you eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. So as you drink, remember the new life that Jesus has brought you to. There is no condemnation. Nothing whatsoever is able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God bless you as you drink. Father God, we are so grateful. God, we are grateful for what you've given us in Scripture, the stories of your faithfulness again and again and again, how you've proven yourself to be faithful. Father, I thank you how you show yourself to be faithful in our lives time and time again, how you're not just, uh, you're not just active in Scripture, but you're active and you're working in our lives every single day, Father. We know that. And Father, I pray for our faith. I pray for, for those of us who are struggling right now, who, who, are, who are questioning, um, who are wondering how you're working, where you're working, if you're working. Father, I just pray for your, your spirit to lead us into remembrance of what you've done. I pray 
that you'd build our faith that we can see you clearly as the God with a perfect track record who loves us enough to die for us, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father, I pray out of that we can go joyfully, we can go freely living in full trust of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?